Hey, Disney fan. Have you ever wanted to know how we make the magic? Or maybe what's happening at Disney every single week? Well, have we got the podcast for you. This is D23 Inside Disney. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Candace from Radio Disney. And we are taking you Inside Disney. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey there. Hi. How are you? Good. How about you guys? Good. 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 Excited to hear your beautiful voices. Yes. Yes. That is true. It is a highlight of my week, that is for sure. Okay. Speaking of beautiful voices, did you guys catch the Disney Family Sing Along on ABC? Yes. Yes. So good. <laughs> what was your favorite? The opening number. That was like yes. incredible. I can't believe just three people put that entire opening production together. That was like mesmerizing. I was floored. I like really want to recreate that in my kitchen with my fiance, but I don't think he's down for that. <laughs> and like Derek Huff has like mad editing skills. I don't even know like, like that. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Yeah, that was insane. What about you? What was oh, your favorite God. part? I honestly, I mean, because I loved all the production values of so many of them, but I really loved Ali E. Cravayo just singing How Far oh, I'll Go. Yes. And it was just so simple and pure yeah. and beautiful. It just was such in such the spirit of of the special. I really enjoyed it. Candace, how about you? I really liked Jordan Fisher because he's a friend mm. of mine and I haven't seen him in so long. So seeing him on TV was like, we were hanging out and he was just singing to me. Oh. It was perfect. <laughs> I love that. So he's so good. He's so good. Well, the best part is it is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. So Yay. I've got time to like watch and rewatch and re re rewatch the opening number and nail those moves. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Or at least try. The Disney Family Sing Along will also be airing on Disney Channel this weekend. Oh, awesome. On Friday evening, I watched the Disney on Broadway 25th anniversary concert, which was streaming online and benefited Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS as a uh, COVID 19 relief fund. And it was fantastic. It was so much fun just because over the years I've gotten to meet some of the Disney on Broadway performers. So getting to see Josh Strickland perform and Kara Lindsay perform, it was it had double meaning for me because they're all so freaking nice as well as so amazingly talented. So that was awesome. And it raised $609,000 for the fund, which wow. is so, so, so great, which I, I, I was just mm-hmm. so happy to see that. I meant to tell you guys that the merch that I ordered from shopdisney.com came this week, which was super exciting. Right after I watched Onward on Disney Plus, I literally went online to order the hoodie from the dad. I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't seen it yet, but that was a highlight this week. And I don't think it gives anything away to say that it's like revealed at the the top of the movie that it was the dad sweatshirt. And now I want one too, Candace. Hmm. Well, go get it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and speaking of watching stuff on Disney Plus, we talked last week about Artemis Fowl, which was going to be coming to Disney Plus. They've now announced the date, June twelfth. So, yay! Get ready to stream and other Disney Plus stuff. I know that we've been talking a lot about the Imagineering story, and I've rewatched a bunch of the episodes. And later on, we get to chat with Bob Weiss, the president of Walt Disney Imagineering, and Leslie Iwerks, the executive producer and director of the Imagineering story. So, uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up on the podcast later. 
All right. So Disney news for the week. We're going to start with the thing I was just talking about, shopdisney.com. Well, they've announced they have brought back the Disney bedtime hotline. So I have a little one, so this is super perfect for us. I do have some friends who are adults who are also calling the bedtime hotline. I don't know any adults who would do that. That's so crazy. Why would you bring that up? I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, what? <laughs> well, if you don't already have the number, let me give it to you. one 877 mickey So when you call, you'll basically hear a message from one of your favorite Disney characters just before bedtime. So maybe you'll get Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck. Daisy Duck or Goofy, the toll-free hotline returns until Thursday, April 30th at midnight Pacific. Jeffrey. (laughs) Moving on. A few weeks ago, we talked about how there was an adorable baby zebra born at Disney's Animal Kingdom. They just announced the baby's name on the park's blog. The name of the baby is Asha, which is, I I mean, it's a beautiful name. I actually had a friend named Asha in high school. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was that it means hope in Sanskrit, and life in Swahili. Oh, wow. And I just love like hope, life. They're both so optimistic, and I feel like that's such a great thing to put out there right now. And actually, normally the animal care team names the animals, but they put the name out to a vote to Walt Disney World cast members, and they chose Asha, which I thought was really, really awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Great choice. You can learn more about Asha at DisneyAnimals.com, or you can follow the Instagram of our guest from last week, Dr. Mark Penning. Yes. I feel like we push his Instagram every week. <laughs> it's like well-deserved. It is such totally. a great Instagram. Dr. Mark at Disney, guys, follow. <laughs> <laughs> well, National Geographic just announced a new documentary film called Rebuilding Paradise. The film, which will be directed by Ron Howard, chronicles the work of renowned chef slash humanitarian slash all-around great guy, Jose Andres, and his awesome nonprofit, which is called World Central Kitchen. So through World Central Kitchen, Jose helps to rebuild communities in the wake of a disaster by providing healthy food to people in need. To date, his nonprofit has actually served more than 16 million meals and is now delivering meals to people most affected by the pandemic through the Chefs for America program. So really, really awesome work that he's doing. No release date for the documentary yet, but we will keep an eye out. And coming up in just over a week, May 4th, which for Star Wars fans is called May the 4th, as in May the 4th be with you, or May the Force be with you for those who did not get my pun or the pun. And <laughs> Disney Plus has got you covered. First, they are going to have Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, which is an eight episode doc series that's going to be pulling back the curtain on The Mandalorian, one of my favorite Disney Plus series. And each chapter is going to explore a different facet of the show, hosted by its executive so producer. Cool. John Favreau. And then also on May the 4th will be the series finale of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And our friend Ashley Eckstein was on the show talking about it a few episodes ago. She gave some some exciting uh, teasers. So feel free to go back and listen to that episode right before you watch Star Wars, The Clone Wars series finale, Monday, May the 4th. (laughs) And may the 4th be with you. (laughs) And also with you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, so we talked about this show a while back when it was announced. I'm talking about the big fib on Disney+. Plus. We finally know when it's going to start streaming, May 22nd. Now, this is the game show hosted by Yvette Nicole Brown. 
Reese Darby is going to be her robot sidekick in the show. And in each episode, you'll see a comedic cast sharing all of these crazy fibs and fun facts. And it's going to be up to a kid contestant to decide who the fibber is. So mm. at the end of the show, you'll see an expert and a liar standing under the fib foam machine waiting their fate. Of course, determined by whether the kid chose correctly or not. But there you go. The big fib on Disney Plus starting May 22nd. I mean, between Ooh, a foam machine, cool. a robot sidekick, and Yvette Nicole Brown, how could you go wrong? <laughs> it's all the ingredients of a perfect show. <laughs> well, last but certainly not least, it is time to break down five fantastic things to watch this weekend. Woohoo! Yay! First off... We've got America's Funniest Home Video is making its Disney Plus debut on Friday. I often see random America's Funniest Home Videos clips go viral, and I, without fail, laugh so hard I cry every time I see one. So I will definitely <laughs> be marathoning that. <laughs> well, also on April 24th, The Olympic Elf will debut on Disney+. Plus. It's the True Life Adventure featurette, which was originally released on February 13th, 1952. So for those of you who love some good classic Walt, don't miss The Olympic Elk. Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl airs Saturday on Freeform as part of Freeform's weekend movie marathon. That sounds great. And can I just say that movie has like the best opening scene ever. (laughs) Yes. It's just so good. Well, of course, over on ABC Sunday night, American Idol is back. We're down to the top 20 contestants who this time are going to be performing from their homes across the country. So this is exciting. Ryan Seacrest, of course, he's going to be at the original American Idol desk that he used back in the day. So this is going to be one to watch Sunday night on ABC. And Secrets of the Zoo airs Sunday, a.k.a. my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Aww. On Nat Geo Happy birthday, Wild. Sherry's dad. Oh, yay. <laughs> Topics of the season finale include a golden girl mandrill, a laser-fast, seriously smart cheetah, and best of all, red pandas, the cutest. Aww. Aww. So we are all big fans of the Disney Plus original docuseries, The Imagineering Story. So we are really happy today to have with us president of Walt Disney Imagineering, Bob Weiss, and the creator, director, and executive producer of The Imagineering Story, Leslie Iwerks. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Nice to be here. So obviously, we've been watching the Imagineering story ourselves. What are you both watching to kind of keep yourselves entertained right now? The clue to what I'm watching has to do with the fact that I have a six-year-old daughter here, Hmm. and she is at home with us. And so we are watching a lot of episodes of Be Our Chef. Amazing. (laughs) We had Angela Kinsey on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen each uh, each <laughs> version of The Descendants, oh. and I pretty much know the entire uh, script of Frozen 2 by heart now. Wow. Amazing. Well, I've been watching a variety of old ones that I haven't seen since I was a kid. I just finished 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Ooh. Oh, that's a great one. My dad that's was an underwater camera technician on that in the Bahamas, and then I watched Shaggy D.A., and the first Herbie movie because it used to, you know, run around the back lot at the Disney studio and that those were being filmed when I would do that. And so I wanted to relive those films and see if 
my memories in my head were the same as what existed on the back lot. <laughs> wow. So that was fun. And then I just watched Togo the other night, which made me cry. I have to admit it was really oh. cute. Oh, Us too. We all love Togo. We were big fans. Yeah. Leslie, you just, you just mentioned your dad. In many ways, you were born into Disney. And while you've made many films that are not about Disney, you've done many that were, from the documentary about your your grandfather to the Pixar story to Industrial Light and Magic creating The Impossible, which wasn't quite a part of Disney yet when you made it. But still, what is it that keeps bringing you back to Disney? Well, first of all, I love Disney. You know, I grew up around it and it's kind of in my DNA, I would say. But I mean, Disney just has great stories. And when you look at its nearly 100 year history, there's just so many different stories that are fantastic to learn about and to tell. You know, I did a a TEDx talk some years ago and I started it out with an old African proverb that says, when an old man dies, a library burns. And Mm -hmm. I really firmly believe that everybody has a story and unless you record it, it's gone forever. Mm. And so I, I really try to encourage people to tell their stories. And, you know, and in the case of Imagineering, when that, of course, Hammy on the Mouse, Pixar, ILM, and, and um, Imagineering, you know, there's so many great stories in there. And it's great that we were able to document in six hours the Imagineers by interviewing over 200 people and really getting their stories down for the record. Wow. Well, Bob, this year you celebrate 40 whopping years with Disney. Congratulations. That's remarkable. (laughs) Tell us about your journey. Well, it's been quite a journey. And I grew up in Southern California. So I was part of one of those families that went to Disneyland once a year. And I remember those days very well. And it was usually on my birthday. So it was kind of a special thing for me. Uh But um, when we were at home, not at Disneyland, we used to make Disneyland in the sand in the backyard. I mean, you know, it was it was certainly part as a baby boomer. It was a huge part of our our growing up. Bob, I can totally relate to that. I used to like make Disney World out of Legos when I was a kid. So I totally There you go. See, totally I, all I had was sand. You had Legos. But <laughs> it was actually when I was in college studying architecture and theater that I got a summer job at Disneyland and worked for a summer and a little bit of the following year. At Disneyland, it was the summer that Space Mountain was opening at Disneyland, Ooh. and I didn't really know anything about what was called at the time Wet Enterprises. Heard about them as a result of Space Mountain being built, and then I went back to college. I didn't really keep my part-time job at Disneyland. Didn't hear any more about it, and when I was about to graduate with my architecture degree, this company called Wet Enterprises came to recruit at Cal Poly. Pomona, where I was going to school. And that's where I really met them for the first time. And literally two weeks after I graduated, I started at that time, WED, now WDI. There's been a few breaks in there for me creatively, but most of my career has been spent there and gigantically satisfying from the standpoint of opportunities and just the range of things that you can do at Disney, the range of places around the world, the range of problems, projects, challenges, I couldn't be more lucky to have been a part of it. That's so cool. We're going to go back over to you, Leslie, because in many ways, your family is naturally wrapped up in not just the Imagineering story, but the entire Disney story. So were there any specific things you knew you had to incorporate into the series? Sure. Well, so yeah, my, you know, growing up with kind of a exposure to the Imagineers tangentially through my dad, uh, he was head of the machine shop for many, many years, almost 30 years. And 
you know, so as a teenager and into my 20s, I got to attend to a variety of things at Disney with him. And I met a number of the Imagineers like Harriet Burns and Blaine Gibson and Alice Davis and Marty. And, and so really over the years, got to spend time with them. And I would go up to Casa Dorinda where Harriet and Blaine lived in their retirement home and spend time with them. And, and it was just really special. And I felt so happy to be able to include them into the story and so many other Imagineers whose stories really hadn't been told. I've always felt Imagineering is like a family in many ways. And I certainly got that vibe as a kid growing up because of just everybody was like a family. And then of course, my dad and grandfather's contributions, I wanted to include. They were, they weren't official Imagineers. They were, again, working on processes and camera systems and projection systems that was more done on the lot out of the machine shop and the process lab and whatnot. But, you know, was able to include the 360-degree camera that Ub developed and, and the 360 projection system and the various many, many contributions that they did were not included in the film, but were included in the, my dad's recent book called uh, Walt Disney's Ultimate Inventor, The Genius of uh, iWork. So a lot of those are in there, but really the Imagineering story was sort of the collection of everyone's contributions. And no one person was, you know, got a dedicated slice of everything they did, but we were able to look at it as a big hole in the tapestry of everybody's contributions and how they all intertwine and work together. So I was very happy to be able to include my grandfather and father in that story. And it was very fun to show him the final film and get his feedback. So <laughs> it's nice. Well, I guess we, and we'd be remiss if we didn't like actually say, so your grandfather was of iWorks who with Walt created Mickey Mouse and was one of the, a Disney legend and one of the animation pioneers. And your dad's Don iWorks, Disney legend, who was a, a, a fantastic storyteller and had his book come out last year. Yep. Well, Bob, there's a level of honesty in the series that I thought was both surprising and refreshing to Disney fans, particularly the admission of failure. So how did everyone come together to say, let's go for it, let's be candid, and let's talk about the things that didn't work? I think it's important to say that I don't think this series would exist. It certainly wouldn't exist at the quality level that it is without Leslie and the fact that Leslie is considered to us really to be part of the family. She's part of our family. And so being part of the family meant giving her unprecedented access, access that we've, you know, in our history of as a fairly, you know, quiet organization within the Disney company, we've never given to anybody in terms of being able to go to every opening, every site, talk to anybody that she wanted to within, within Imagineering and outside of Imagineering. But the reason it was so important that it be Leslie is that no one else could really, one, be trusted by so many of our folks for her ability to understand the perspective, the background, the, the, the way all this might fit together, and someone who knew enough about it all to be able to, to really put all the pieces together, put the, the, uh, the jigsaw puzzle together and make sense of it all. So I think... The honesty of the series really grows from that trust that we all have with Leslie, at, both as a storyteller and as a Disney historian, and the fact that we told everybody to be honest, talk about your true experiences, talk about success, failure. A big part of what we all do is experimentation. It's pushing the envelope, trying to do things 
that have never been done before. Disney, particularly in Imagineering, have always been a place where we were trying to push the envelope and not just do the same old thing. And so if you're going to do that, you have to be able to face failure sometimes or face big challenges. But it was Leslie's disarming, earnest exchange with us and knowledge of us and empathy with us that I think encouraged a lot of people to be so straightforward and honest. And the way she put the story together really makes that that apparent. Something that the docuseries addresses really well is the fact that the parks are not museums. Sometimes old attractions go away and make way for new attractions. Bob, can you talk about how those decisions are made within WDI? And then Leslie, as someone who's got an insider perspective but tells stories objectively, how do you cover that as a filmmaker? Well, I think from my standpoint, as far as the parks go, the parks are incredible pieces of history, but they're living history. And it's very important that they be living history and that they not be museums in the sense that we're trying to preserve what's great about the parks. We're trying to preserve Walt's vision. We preserve many, many attractions and experiences for the public. If I went there as a kid and I want to take my son and I want someday I take a, a, a grandchild there. But at the same time, the parks have to live up to the expectation today, which includes our new movies, new stories, new characters. People expect to see them. People expect us to always be, you know, amazing them with illusions and and magic that they've never experienced before. So we as Imagineers always have to find that balance between maintaining the tradition, yet at the same time, Walt's challenge, which was the park will never be finished as long as there's imagination, which means we always have to be pushing the envelope. One of the one of the last times I saw Marty Scalar, who was my mentor was at D23. And he talked about it at that time. He talked about, you know, you you can't expect our parks to be museums. You don't want them to sit static. I think you're always expecting us to, to bring you new experiences. So we put a lot of thought into how to balance that. As a filmmaker, looking at, at all these different attractions, I think, you know, reiterating what Bob said, that they always have to change. And yet, we all love the classics like Pirates of the Caribbean and Small World and Matterhorn and and you know it was fascinating for me to actually talk to Kim Irvine about her experience on Small World and adapting that you know with modern characters and and the backlash that that got until fans really started to understand what was happening it was sort of fun for me to be on the inside of Imagineering and which I don't think anyone really does maybe outside of some tight tight family members but of Imagineers, but to know what was happening on the inside and then also see out in front of that facade or that sign that says we're under construction or, you know, pardon our pixie dust that I knew what the fans were reacting to and what they were freaking out about and, you know, fearing or concerned and all the scuttlebutt on, on social media about what was happening inside that attraction. And so it was fun for me to go inside and really see what was actually going on in there and then to have that secret and be trusted with that secret and document that journey through opening. Leslie, you have such a unique perspective with a whole lifetime of stories and experiences to share. So what are the top three things you wish you could have included, but because of either time or continuity of the story wouldn't work? One scene that we did was we found Susan Hoos and 
for the diehard fans, they may know who that is. It was one of the original mermaids. And we uh, found her through a lot of digging on social media and contacted her. And I had a long conversation with her over the phone. And she had these amazing stories. And wow. so we flew, her, we flew her out. We interviewed her in front of the, you know, where she used to work right there in the lagoon. And, and, um, and we could not, at the end of the day, we found actually archival footage of her. And she told this great story how she left from school and got did, went to this audition and she was wearing her, her white, her like black shirt and white shorts or vice versa, whatever. She was not wearing a bathing suit like the rest of them because she came straight from school. And so she was wearing shorts to in the, in the pool, having to don a, <laughs> you know, a mermaid outfit. And so we went back through this footage that we found and we found her. And it was so cool to match her interview with that footage. Wow. But at the end of the day, we ended up cutting it because it just felt a little bit tangential to the Imagineers. It was more about the cast and her story. And it sort of took us off of a main thread. We, you know, we tried to cut it down and everything else, but ultimately due to time and, you know, various requests to cut, to cut, we just cut it. (laughs) So the other one was Yippee Day. We did find some really cool footage from Yippee Day in the seventies when the kids would, what invaded Disneyland and protested. And anyway, we found like all these, you know, 20 somethings, teenagers, you know, invading the park and, and protesting and the war and, you know, Watergate and whatnot. And they had to get kicked out and it was a big news thing. So we found all this cool footage and we cut a whole scene together of it. But again, it went off the beaten path of the Imagineering story. So maybe someday it'll get resurrected and it'll find a place. Yeah, I would love to see all the deleted scenes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we had scenes on like Pooh's Honey Hunt and Expedition Everest and Horizons, the Castaway Cay. Those were all sections that we had explored as well, but didn't make it in. And But in addition to that, just tons of interview footage that, you know, was golden, but we just couldn't fit it all in. So and keep in mind, this was a 90 minute film originally. And then you know, with so much archival material that we got, we were able to expand it into six hours. Wow. Keep in mind, I mean, just to give you an example, the kind of material, I can just tell you right now, cast member training films. These are things that we pulled from the WDI archives and um, we found them through archives around around the world. Uh, wow. Show documentation videos, attraction pitch meetings, wed parties and anniversaries, WDI attraction testing, WDI experimentation documentation, personal photos from Imagineers and their families to, to automatics of ride media and ride track, the maps, scripts, Disney handbooks, you know, interviews with people like Herb Ryman, Existencio, Bill Justice, Tony Baxter, Mark Davis, no one had ever seen. Um, you know, Imagineers that work on Epcot, we, we were able to pull material from the vault, pull it from salt mines and get it transferred, things that never even had proxies. So it was pretty exciting. We had over 21 individual archival elements that were used in the film. So that hadn't been seen. And a lot of us that are Imagineering insiders had seen so much of our own history, but we were just amazed that so much of what Leslie came in with, none of us had ever seen. We were just amazed at how much original material, even for us insiders, we didn't even know existed. I mean, I feel like you already answered this question, but I, you know, you covered so much. You you really did cover the Imagineering story. It does sound like there's a lot of other stories. Is there a thread that you could think of that you could tie them all together with to create another series? Is there another story that you really want to tell, maybe not related to any of that stuff? I mean, I think there could have been so much more on Disneyland alone. There's a lot of archival footage about Disneyland. So if you wanted like a really deep dive look into that, I think there's there's a series even on that. 
Yes, um, yes, I would like you know. that. Can you? Can we please get <laughs> like, let's get that going? <laughs> it's amazing. You know, there's there's a carbon material that people don't even know exists. So that's what's exciting. And then also just the hundred year history of Disney. I'm you know interested in in exploring that. 2023, 100 year old birthday of this company. So there's lots of subjects that you could do deep dives on people and places and subjects. It's just an archival dream, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we, you know, certainly believe that Imagineering's uh, story is not finished. We're constantly doing new things. We've constantly got new projects underway. We have so much, even in just our immediate future in the next few years. So I had the distinction of aging from about 23 to about 60 in the course of her six episodes. So I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to go further. I'm willing to go another 10 years or so if she wants to put me in. But, but we're definitely excited about the reaction, the reception of Leslie's work. And, and we're certainly supportive of doing more. I think there's, there's lots of topics, not just in the history uh, that have not been covered, but in the exciting new developments that are coming forward. Totally. Well, Bob, this may be like asking about a favorite child, but do you have a favorite attraction or project you worked on? It is somewhat asking about a favorite child. You know, we all have favorites. I, I have some great favorites. I, you know, I love the Haunted Mansion. I love the the traditional Disneyland Haunted Mansion. I love it. I love Big Thunder. Tony Baxter is a genius. And I love uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. For myself, I had the opportunity to work on so many fantastic projects the first Tower of Terror at the Disney Hollywood Studios was a great experience to work on that. And as Leslie mentioned, to be able to go through the entire seven years that it took to go from sketch to reality on Shanghai with a, a brand new Pirates, a, an original Tron ride, a whole new castle, a whole new sort of layout, thinking of the park. Those are the kind of experiences you get to do if you're a part of Imagineering with these fantastic collaborative teams and, and so many different artists and, and inventors that, that we work with. So they're all great to me, but they're fantastic memories as you, you're, you're kind of tired when they're, when they're first done. I remember <laughs> Leslie inter, interviewing me a couple of times in Shanghai and now it's kind of a cloud. I don't even remember what was going on. But, you know, so I, I, it's nice to be able to watch the documentary and say, oh, yeah, that is what's, what was happening at the time. Because when you're caught up in these, it's uh, quite an event. It takes over your life. Bob, you now oversee games as part of your role in Imagineering. How do you see games as being a part of the Imagineering story going forward? Well, I think now that Imagineering creatively has parks and resorts and cruise ships and also games as well as uh, publishing and the, and the creative artistic uh, development side of the consumer products business. I think you can see that our creative sensibility, design sense, storytelling, sense of innovation is able to meet people's lives across the spectrum of their experience. So you can go to the park, you can experience and immerse yourself in a game you can buy a memento or fashion with Disney theming in it. And certainly the book business is a huge part of the storytelling as well. Uh, specific to games, I think that there are people who who love to experience either our parks or our other stories through games. I think one of the reasons that Imagineering feels a, a big kinship to games is because 
we don't think of the stories, say, from our animation or Pixar or movies, we don't think of them in a linear way. We think of them as an experiential way because you don't come to Disneyland to just experience one story, but you come over and over again to go into a world. So if you think about something like Galaxy's Edge, let's say, you're in a world there that is a part of your Star Wars life, but everybody brings their own kind of Star Wars experience to that and you live that out as your own adventure. And that's very similar to the way you experience games. I think it's much less of a linear story and much more immersing you into stories and characters that then give you lots and lots of different ways to explore or experience. Well, we all had a chance to experience Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway last month. We absolutely loved it. I think we probably wrote it four or five times in a row, um, (laughs) which was amazing. And we were very blessed to be able to do that. But Leslie, I know you told D23 late last year that you had an advanced look at it and that it had hidden eye work. So what was it like for you knowing your family is part of the attraction? Well, I had the honor to be toured through it with Kevin Rafferty and Trita Carter about six months prior to it opening when I was in Florida. And they were just so excited to share it all with me from presentation and keynote concepts to the walkthrough. And and then they shared with me this signage, you know, I think it was the iWorks and UWorks Waterworks sign, something like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I just thought, wow, how cool. Who would have thought you would have thought to do that? And that's neat. And I think it just meant a lot to us, certainly as a family and as Ub's, Ub's lineage of uh, being the co-creator of Mickey Mouse and original animator and, and in the first Mickey Mouse ride that's fully Mickey Mouse ride. So I was excited about the innovation of that ride too, just how fun it is. And I'm looking forward to go see it finally finished. It goes back to the fact that Imagineering is very family oriented. I've always found that they're constantly respecting the past and honoring the future. And, you know, to be a part of that is is just a real gift. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, one of the things that I think is really striking that over the course of the whole series is that Imagineering has always pushed the boundaries of innovation. So if you had to pick one, what would you each consider the biggest Imagineering achievement? Bob, you want to go first? Go ahead, Leslie. Any time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have two, basically. I would say Disneyland as the biggest innovation, because that's what started it all. And then I would say drilling down within that, I would say audio animatronics. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to cheat and answer your question more broadly. But I think it is the continuing storytelling and innovation that immerses people into worlds and makes it their personal experience. So when you think about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad and and say, well, how is it possible that Disney never did an attraction or a ride rather with, with Mickey Mouse? Well, one answer to that is there were a lot of things that brought that together finally at the perfect time. This, you know, incredible cartoon series that was so fresh and colorful and dynamic the technology that actually was just beginning to unfold with Kevin Rafferty and Sharita Carter and their team that could actually allow us to to visualize that experience, the ride system that allowed you to move seamlessly through those scenes. A lot of those things didn't exist, so we're very happy that this is the first ride based on Mickey Mouse. But then if you look at Star Wars, the ability to truly immerse you into a Star Wars experience to the point that I've literally seen people getting off that rise of the resistance 
crying, high fiving, uh, you know, shouting because they've waited, you know, some of them waited 30 years or more to live it, to really live it. So I think the nature of our business is to try to bring people into an experience that they're really living it. It's seamless to them. They're not thinking about the technology they're not thinking about what tricks we did. They're just living it at face value as if it's just a part of their life. And that is constantly the reason why we're advancing every technology or every technique we have is the, the bar that we've set just gets higher each time we do it. So the next one we do, we'll want to be even more immersive than the last ones. Wow. Well, can't wait for that. Bob and Leslie, it has been a real treat talking to you. But before we let you go, can you both share your favorite Disney memory? Sure. I mean, it's hard for me to just give you one. I <laughs> have a wonderful memory of being on the set of Captain EO as a kid. Wow. And watching Michael Jackson and Angelica Houston acting their roles and singing and sitting behind Francis Ford Coppola in dailies. <laughs> so that was pretty, wow. that was pretty awesome. That's so uh, knowing, cool. knowing that film was like a million dollars a minute to shoot. And my dad had worked on the 3d camera system that was used for it. I, I would also say just, you know, running around the back lot as a kid and getting a real sense of the, the make believe and, um, seeing the Herbie VW Beetle car was like seeing a celebrity. And then my dad's, you know, for fun, my dad's hand, he, he was a model for the Lincoln hand. And so we always had this rubber hand around the house. And so I used to hide it in places and torture people with it. So it was, <laughs> it was a, a, fun, a fun thing, way to grow up. Just my, my evil side, <laughs> <laughs> scaring my sister and brothers. That's so good. This might be one of the times when we were, in the same place at the same time and didn't know each other, Leslie, because I was on the set of Captain Neo a couple of days too. Oh, wow. That was oh, fascinating. But I have to say one of my greatest memories, I was the chief designer for the Disney Hollywood Studios in Orlando. And we're just about finished. And uh, one of my favorite areas still today is the, is the Hollywood Boulevard entrance to the park, which we borrowed clips and pieces from throughout Hollywood from Sunset and Hollywood Boulevard and other neighborhoods and tried to tell the story in a unique way that would still feel like it was fundamentally what, what the magic of Hollywood is supposed to be. And just about that time, I got the unique opportunity to walk Roy Disney through having grown up in the Disney family and, and, and Hollywood. He so tapped into every little piece of detail and architecture and, and it was almost like we had constructed his memory there and he was so excited about it and so enthusiastic and so generous with his time. But that's uh, mm. one of those lifetime memories you could uh, never replace. That's cool. Mm. Thank you both so much for being here. We are huge fans of, mm -hmm. of the show and, of course, of Walt Disney Imagineering. So amazing because we actually, not only did we get to go to the opening of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, but, Bob, we were there for the opening of Rise of the Resistance. So these incredible immersive experiences, I think Candace and, and Sherry will join me in saying that we have loved being able to be there and be a part of those uh, openings. Absolutely. And now I've got to give the Imagineering story a six-hour rewatch. I know. I was just thinking that it's on tonight for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's wonderful to talk with you. And we're so excited to um, have the Imagineering story tell our story. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been an honor to be on this. I don't know about you guys, but I, I have to go back and rewatch all this. 
the Imagineering yep. story. It's interesting. Like you feel like you see it through new eyes, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Whole new perspective. Well, thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, just hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. And we'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.